All right, my friends, the Ultimate OD Podcast, great episode for you this week. Now, I'll tell you, I got very excited. I have seven things that your patients are looking for from you. Long-winded, I made it two parts. So this is part one of a two-part series. We have a little office talk. I talk to you about frames. I get a little personal, tell you about my personal experience with one of my children and her eyes. We have the closing thought of the episode. This is the Ultimate OD Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Optometry, the ultimate OD podcast, building better doctors one episode at a time. Here's your host, optometrist and practice owner, Dr. Nick Lilly. You know, this is uh, what I love to do. I love talking optometry. We're doing the seven things that your patients want from you. And I just got talking. So I got halfway through and I realized we needed to make this two episodes. So this is part one of a two-part series. We'll have them back to back. So just tune in both weeks and you'll get everything you need for the seven things your patients want from you. All right, my friends, this is the Ultimate OD Podcast. Today, we are talking about our patients. They are why we're in business. Never forget that. We went to school for a long time. We love what we do, whether it's glaucoma, you know, ocular disease, especially contacts, vision therapy, we are here to take care of patients. Don't lose sight of that. Now, that being said, patients have demands of us. Are you aware of these demands? Are you doing everything you can to give the patient, the customer, what they want? Today, I'm going to outline seven things that I think are key to making your patients like you and appreciate you. And at the end of the day, I think if you have every single one of your patients like you, they're more likely to come back, they're going to do the treatments and therapies that you suggest, and everyone wins. You have a better business, your patients have better eye health, and it's a win-win scenario. So take these seven things, we'll run with them, make them your own. All right, one and two go hand in hand, but I put them in this order for a reason. Number one, you have to hear them. So in other words, listen. Patients want to be heard. Every time they come in for an exam, there's something that they're there for. Whether it's routine eye care, they have an itchy eyelid, a twitchy eyelid, they have a pain or pressure behind their eye, there's something that brought them into the office. Are you making sure you're finding out what that is every time they come in and you're addressing that? Now, again, we all have done case histories. Patients will tell you the most obscure, random things that don't matter. They'll go 10 years back in their history telling them, telling you how they scratched their cornea and do you still see it? We all know this. You have to guide them and direct them, but you have to make sure you address their concerns. So as I've said in previous podcasts, whenever my staff does the initial workup, they ask what brings them in today and then do they have any questions for the doctor? As you know, if you could ask that question, you say no, or you ask the question that's right on the tip of your, your tongue, and they walk out and you have two more questions, or you have the question that you wish you would have asked, and they're gone. So we like to prep the prep the patient. Put that out there. I'll get presented to me. They'll tell me that so I know what's expected. Then I'll walk in, introduce myself, go over a little case history, ask them if there's anything specific I can answer for them today, or if I they did say that one thing to my tech, I'll write it down and say, and I know you want to talk about this. I'll make sure we address it when we talk about the health of your eye. Or I'll address it right at the get-go to get it out of the way so I don't forget. Then, at the end of the exam, I go over everything. I try to hit all the high points. I'll ask them one more time, do you have any more questions for me? All right. Now, realize that 
The key to that is listening to them. And sometimes they don't know what they need. But throughout the case history, throughout conversation, you'll hear a problem that's underlying that you can solve. Listen first, give answers next. The number two thing, communication. You know what communication equals? Time. They want to talk to you. They want to understand. They do not want to feel rushed. They want your time. All right. What is the most valuable thing as a doctor in our day-to-day schedule? Our time. So it's valuable. You have to make it count. You have to be efficient. You have to make them feel in five minutes or less like you are giving them all the attention in the world. You're answering every single question. You're doting on them. You are there to serve them. So even if they have one hour exam, you know, they're in there, they get to their office at 10, they leave at 11. If they only spend five minutes with you, do they feel like that five minutes was impactful? Do they spend 30 minutes with you? How long are you allotting yourself to give the patient time? And if you aren't good at this, they're going to go somewhere where they get the time that they want and they deserve. So find a way to do that. The second thing is they want to understand. All right. If you tell them they have glaucoma, if you tell them what they can do to prevent macular degeneration or how a scleral lens works, what myopia management is, they want to understand this. Now, they don't have a background in eye care. How can you explain everything that you learn over the course of decades in under five minutes? Right. The key is, number one, you need to have handouts ready. All right. Have things where you can talk about it, go over it and then give them a handout. Then have them talk to your staff, right? Your staff needs to be trained in all these things. Go over it. If you have any more questions, just let me know. Or you can talk to one of your staff members, but make sure they have the ability to get in touch with you, right? If you have any more questions, here's my email. Call the office. I'll take the time to give you a call back. We can discuss this, but I need you to read this. I need you to think about it. This is what we're going to do, but make sure you are able to communicate effectively and efficiently what's going on with their eyes and you take the time to help them understand. The last thing or not the last thing, but something else with this is you need to have an analogy for everything. I was just had lunch with a fourth year optometry student. Um, Maybe she comes and joins my office down the road. Maybe not, but I want her to be successful. And we were talking about one of the keys to her being successful, what she can do in fourth year. And I said, whatever the, the condition is, have an analogy that your patient will understand. So talk to your boyfriend, talk to your parents, people that are not in eye care and say, this is a disease. Let me explain it to you. And if they can understand that, you now have made it more efficient in educating the patient. So have a list of analogies for your go-to things. That'll help you. Another one of my colleagues I was talking to this week was talking about the vaccine right now for COVID. And he had an 89-year-old patient in his office. And he goes, I was on the whiteboard jarring up mRNA. And after I was done educating her, she's like, oh, I didn't realize it was this. I thought I was going to rewrite my DNA. You know, people don't understand. And I'm not going one way or the other than that. But I'm using it as an example of, You can educate your patients. You have a lot of power. Take your knowledge and make it effective to help the patient have better eye care, better health care. In the same context, in the same vein, how many times do you have a patient come back to your office, you had them for coming back in one to two weeks, and you ask them how they're doing, what they're taking, how often they're using it, and they're not doing anything you told them. Whose fault is that? Well, one, the patient didn't do what you told them, but two, 
why didn't they do what you told them, right? It's because you did not communicate it effectively. You did not educate them in a way that they understood why they were supposed to do what you wanted them to. You have to take some of the blame on that. So make sure you take the time to communicate properly and give the patient what they need to be successful under your care. And like I said, delegate some of that to your staff Let them know they can communicate with you at any time, even after they leave the exam room. That's the worst when I get done with my physical with my primary care physician. I'm like, well, I guess it's going to be another year till I can ask that question. That's not the relationship I want my patients to have with me. So do what you need to do. Give them the time and communication they deserve. We've listened. We've communicated. We've given them our time. Most valuable resource a doctor has. All right, number three, then they want a partnership. They don't want you to do things to them. They want to do things with you, right? They don't want things done to them. They want to know what their options are and what they can do to be successful, what they can do to make their eyes better. And sometimes they don't want to do the treatment that you want. Ocular hypertension is a perfect example. Do you treat or do you monitor? Give the statistics, give the information to the patient and let them go. Now they can ask your opinion and you can guide them. But ultimately, this is a decision that they need to make. We have all the answers. We have a ton of answers. But are you solving the problem that they have? Not the problem that you want to answer. There's a big difference. Because a lot of things we can just throw glasses at. Or we can throw you know, multiple pairs or drops or therapies. But if the patient is not involved, if they're not signing on with it, are they going to be successful? Are they wasting their money? I'm here as a vessel to give you what you need. The difference between me and other offices is you tell me what you want and I'll find a way to make it done. You don't come in and I tell you what you're going to do. I say that all the time and that's a partnership with my patients. There's many possible paths. Do you give them all the options? Do we know all the options? Think about some of the stuff that you can do. We'll use contacts, for example, you know, from Torix to multifocals, monovision fits, hybrid lenses, sclerals. Do you give your patients all the resources available? I hope you do. And if you don't do them all, that's fine. Remember, we've talked in the past. Know your circle of competence, what you like to do. But if you don't do something and there's an option that could help them out, refer them out. Get them into the hands of the people that can help them. I do that all the time with certain patients where I see them and dry eye is something that, you know, Restasis, Zydra, Therana, Lodamax, Lodopredinol drop, you know, there's, it's easy to treat, but my success rate, the patient's happiness isn't very high. You know, I don't have a lipoflow. I don't have a lot of the advanced dry eye techniques. If they have really severe dry eye, I have no problem referring that patient. I'm not worried about them. They want to see me. They want me to do it, but I want them to have what's best for them. And I'm not going to buy some of the stuff or treat a patient if I'm not committed to it, if I'm not devoted to it, and I don't think they're going to get the outcome that they're looking for. I'd rather have them go to someone else and see what can happen. So make sure even if you don't have all the answers or you don't do everything that could help them, you get them into the hands of the people that can. Let them know you can always come back to me if you want glasses or contacts. And I'll tell you this right now. People are afraid to refer. I have so many patients that come back to me. They want to be in my care. They trust me now. We're in a partnership. 
This is a relationship profession. Build a relationship and they will trust you. They'll come back to you. They want to hear what you have to say. Even if they talk to the specialist, they'll give me an email. They'll call and say, hey, what do you think about this? Can you can you explain this like you do so I understand? And I take a lot of pride in that. That means I'm doing something right. I hope everyone else knows that that's the power of our profession. All right, my friends. So that's the first three of the seven keys to give your patients what they want. So listen, hear them, hear what they're saying. Number two, make sure you communicate. Give them time. The third thing is you're in a partnership with the patient. They don't want things done to them. They want to do things with you. Tune in next week. We'll have four, five, six, and seven, and we'll keep making our relationship with our patients better, growing our practices, and don't miss this next week. All right, my friends, a little office talk. So as I've been trying to grow and expand the office, one of the things I'm looking at is adding a frame line. So I have my core down. I look at my percentage of sales from each frame line and and such. And I think I can add a little bit high end. I want to start pulling people towards the top end of the of the curve, right? And as I go to a new market, I think there might be a opportunity to get a another high end brand in there. So I started researching a bunch of different frame lines and what I realized is those very luxury brands want you to have an astronomical buy in. They want you to have so many pieces on the board and I just don't think it's worth it. It's not going to give me enough value to have that much inventory just sitting around. So I started looking for things that could fit into my office that sets me apart that might be a little different because I I do feel like I need to freshen up my boards a little bit. And one of the brands that was my go-to for the past 10 years that gave me a higher end price point in my office, higher end is 300 and above and a unique feel, not cookie cutter, not something like a banana Republic Kate Spade, just a little off the cuff. It's pro design Denmark. And over the past, you know, probably four years, they've done a lot of changes to their business model and they're not quite as I don't want to say not quite as creative. They're more corporate, more streamlined. I bet you they're more efficient. And if you look at it from a business perspective, they're doing exactly what they wanted to do, but they've lost some of that creativity. I mean, that's a lesson itself when uh, we're expanding our businesses. The more streamlined, the more cookie cutter you get, the less authentic you may feel. So remember that. But anyways, I was looking to fill that void. And one of my friends, Dr. Uden, out of Colorado said, check out salt. If you're not familiar with salt, I, the rep was really cool. Daryl sell. Uh, yes. His last name is sell. And he was very good at selling. Uh, came in. He's like, see air land and timelessness. That's what salt is. And gave you the story about the frame line and makes you really want to buy into it. Right. What I like to do when I look at frames is let me feel them. Let me see them. How do they feel? Do they feel cheap? Do they have a unique look to them? And they were amazing. They fit what I do at my office because they they feel sturdy and durable. And they're unique enough that they stand out, but they're not gaudy or really boutique-y. So it's perfect for what I want. 
Now he he came in saying he wanted me to buy thirty five to forty frames. Now in one office, I just that's too much board space for what I want to give up. But I want to see the frame line. Let's see what it is. And what I've done in the past, when you have multiple offices, it's nice because you can buy twenty frames, just duplicate it, and have two offices. I've done that in the past. So if I had if I like the line and I wasn't ready to move forward with that many unique ones, I was just going to put it on hold, and when I start the new office, I'll, I'll do that method, right? Well, I liked the line enough, and we went through when we picked out frames, and I got to 27. I'm like, dude, I like your stuff. If it sells, I'll buy more, but can we open the order at that? And again, we're in a relationship business, whether it's with patients or vendors. He's like, you know, I like you. I don't have anything in the area. Let's make this happen. So there you go. It's simple as that. So I got those coming in. We'll see what they do. I'm pumped about it. Talked to one of my friends, Dr. Haas in Owasso, and he's like, let me know how it goes. I've been interested in it, but I can't get my staff excited. My staff was pretty jacked up about it. They they like the feel. They're buying into it. If they if they if they like it, it's more likely to move because they're gonna show people it. And something else that's gonna happen, every one of my staff members is gonna probably get one of those frames. You know what? That's going to get them excited. That's going to make them want to push that line. So that's something that's coming up. And again, how do you motivate yourself? Something I'm going to do. The next thing, when I am sitting back and looking how I want to grow my office, right? I feel like I can, I'm doing awesome where I'm at. I'm very happy. That's why I'm expanding, right? And in order to grow, I know I need great doctors, great staff, great protocol, but you have to have an online presence. And the thing I like about what I'm doing is I'll be able to market, use my marketing dollars to benefit both offices. We're going to brand ourselves the same. We're going to have the same look and feel, and then you can choose which location you want to go to. In order to do that, I need to increase my social media presence as well as my website. And right now I've had a friend of mine just doing the website and it looks great. I, I like how it's unique. Nothing against Vision Source or Affinity websites, but they look cookie cutter. They look all the same. I like how mine feels like my office. It has a little bit of a modern feel, has my color scheme that I like. I've put in all the text. Again, I'm sure it could be better, and that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm talking to some actual web developers with my marketing company that I use. Again, how much money do you guys allot towards marketing? I think it should be 10 to 20K a year. And that's for my one office. When I get two offices, hopefully I can combine some of those dollars, but I'm going to be at least 20K a year just trying to build my brand, market what I do. And it may sound crazy, but look at what every other successful business does. They market. And if you're thinking just word of mouth is going to do it for you, I think you're missing an opportunity. And this social media, this online age, people are on their phones. They like to do things remotely. Find a way to have that presence. So that's what I'm trying to build. Stay tuned. I'll let you know how that experience goes because it's going to cost money. Is it worth the investment? I really think it is. And I'm trying to be ahead of the game because a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my other optometry friends don't see the value in marketing. And my philosophy of a lot of things when it comes to business is I don't, any dollar I have in the bank is funny money, right? I paid off all my debt. I owe nothing on the business and it's not mine. It's there for the business. So I don't feel like, oh, I'm putting this much towards it. Let's see what I can do. 
If it comes back, it comes back. If it doesn't, I learn something. I'll be better for it. I'm constantly going through that trial and error. It's a different mindset. Not everyone can embrace that. I know we have things to do, but it's worked for me. Try to push the bounds of what you think you're comfortable with. Whether it's marketing, what you're doing in your office, you got to get uncomfortable to be great. That's my my philosophy there, a little nugget for you there. The last thing I'm going to share with you is just on a personal note. So my daughter is three years old and she's had just recurrent styes, horiolums, and literally I've done everything. She's omega-3s, warm compresses, brooder masks, maxitrol ointment, um, Keflex, azithromycin, you name it. We've been ongoing this for like six months and it's just getting to the point where it would wax and wane. I've hit my limit. I consulted with a bunch of my colleagues and what else could you do? So refer to ophthalmology because she has a few chalations, all four lids. And, you know, he, the nice thing was, it let me know there's nothing else that I could have done. He's like, yeah, let's try another month of X, Y, and Z. We did it. Went back in and at three years old for chalazin removal, they're going to do some steroid injections. Uh, she has to be put completely under and done, uh, have those removed. And because... I was like, why is this happening? What's going on? And it, from uh, the ophthalmologist's perspective, I have a great relationship with him. Um, and we we know each other from before I was a doctor. And his, his thing was, some kids are just really high staff responders. You have to stay on top of it. Hopefully by puberty, she outgrows it. But right now, we'll get this removed, do the injections, and then we just have to stay on top of it. And I got Ocusoft lid wipes. I got hypochlorous acid. I mean, I'm going to be doing the gauntlet of things. But I just know it's it's probably going to come back. And it's one of the most helpless feelings you can have as an eye doctor when it's your daughter. Right? It just drives you nuts. Because you are doing everything you can. And then not only that, you have to do a surgery on your kid for the eyes. It's disheartening to an extent. Again, I know everything is going to be fine. She'll be great. But just know that if I wasn't an eye doctor, if I wasn't educated like I was, and some person was telling me this about my kid, I would be like, this guy is a whack job. There has to be another way. No way we're going to do this. It ge- it gives me perspective. So whenever I deal with kids or patients, the feeling I have right now is something I'm going to try to internalize, and I'll relay this to them. Like I went through this with my daughter. I know what I felt. This is what I did. These are the people I trust. If nothing else, it will give them perspective for what from what I'm going through to hopefully help them in their journey. So just some things from my office. We'll have more for you next week. Where or where did all that time go? We're to the closing thought of the episode. As I've started the work to start office number two, as I've tried to start numerous different clinics, vision therapy, sports vision, myopia management, I'm doing very well, especially contacts. That's one that's going to continue to grow and be nurtured. I realized how hard some of this is. When it comes to starting another office, it is freaking expensive right now. So expensive, especially contacts, scleral lenses. There's barriers of education because not a lot of us have been taught it. We don't get a lot of opportunities, so comfort level is a, is a factor. And then two, how do you get paid for it? How do you bill it? And what I'll tell you is, When I see barriers, it makes me more excited. Think about optometry. 
when you want to be an optometrist to do what we do, you have to get a bachelor's degree, okay? You have to go to optometry school, tons of competition, and then you have to have the funds or capital to do what we're doing right now. It's a lot of barriers to get in. That's awesome. That gives us a unique opportunity. If my wife was going to start a business, you know, whether it's a restaurant, a financial firm, whatever she wanted to do, anyone with a bachelor's degree, some some of those things, restaurant, etc., even without a bachelor's degree, anybody can do. The barrier to entry is so low that there's tons of competition. So when I see something that's hard to do, it makes me more excited because I know a ton of people are going to walk up to that wall, see it, and turn right back around. That's how you can look at your circle of competence. What can you do in your life to be better than everyone else? And if there's tons of barriers, you have a higher chance of making that your thing that sets you apart. Just some food for thought. Take it for what's worth. That's what I got for you. Dr. Lily out. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode and hope that you found a pearl to apply to your practice. We believe as a community, there is much wisdom to be shared. So if you have questions, suggestions, or requests, we want to know. Feel free to reach out to us via social media and leave a comment or email us at theultimateodpodcast at gmail.com so we can make this podcast even better for you. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll catch you again next week.